Well, like it always is, it's the big ugly guy after the real nice good stuff. <laughs> Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 23? We'll look at verses 44 through 49, testimonies to the death of Jesus. So let's just get right into it. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over all the land until the ninth hour. That is, in our time, noon until three in the afternoon. The sun was darkened, then the veil of the temple was torn in the middle. And having called out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And now having said this, he breathed his last. The first testimony here at the death of Christ comes from the Father. And his testimony begets the next three. There's much more to be said about what happens in this time frame, and we have to look at the other gospel accounts. Up until this time, the people have the, the mobs, the masses, have been in somewhat of a, a nonchalant kind of mood where they were filled with sarcasm, hurling insults at Jesus, blaspheming his name and who he is, mocking him. And this blasphemy, this mockery came all the way from the highest order of the religious leaders and even the soldiers on down to just the, the mob themselves. So they've had a lot to say for the first portion of time as Jesus was crucified and then hung up on the cross. But now, the Father will testify to the Son. From the sixth to the ninth hour, darkness. It can't be an eclipse because it's Passover time and Passover always was set by a full moon, so you know that the moon's going to shine at night, therefore it can't be a moon passing in front of the sun, creating it. It's not an eclipse. This is total darkness. People can't see. They're bumping into each other. If you can imagine the thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the area during Passover, bringing their lambs for sacrifice and all that was to be done, 
the busyness because it is the Passover time and so forth. Now, if you put the gospel accounts together, here's what happens. Jesus on the cross is looking at his enemies and those who are blaspheming him. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He goes on to express his thirst and then the account of the thieves that we saw last time. Jesus said to the penitent thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. We covered that. So now at the apex of the sun, at noon, when everything should have been its brightest, darkness falls and it becomes its, dark, its darkest. Blackest of blackest nights, darkness, utter darkness. Nothing can be seen. People will have difficulty moving about. They weren't prepared for darkness. They were prepared for moving about in the day. Maybe here and there, a torch. I don't know. How far did the darkness extend? I don't know. Probably across all of the nation of the Jews. But in and around where Christ was crucified, total, absolute darkness. Now when the darkness comes, the the, the, the total of the gospel account teaches us that when the darkness came, it was then that Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He quoted the 22nd Psalm, My God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you gone away from me? Why have you forsaken me. Sabachthani. I'm alone. You've gone. Here's what's happening. For three hours, the Father brings hell upon the Son. In an, in an arena and a realm that we cannot know before there was time. The Father and the Son had covenanted with each other. The Father would give to the Son His own. They are called the elect in the Bible. This was an eternal promise. And for His own, the Bible teaches us that the Lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. Everything in the purpose of God has been moving to this point. Along the way, what the Father had given to the Son was stolen, kidnapped by the usurper. Sin by one man entered into the world. 
Now we cannot live in God's heaven without our debt for sin being paid. Christ, as the darkness comes, as hell itself. What is hell? Hell is God's eternal punishment upon sin. That's what hell is. Separation from God, punishment of sin. Only the Son of God, virgin-born Christ, who, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, did not regard all that he was and all that he had as something to be, kept on, to be held on to or to be kept at any cost, laid his glory aside and came to be found in the form of a man and died even the death of the cross. So that finally, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in heaven on earth, above, beneath the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, three hours. The Son of God, both God and man, Father forsakes the Son as punishment for sin of Christ's own fall upon him. Hell came to Christ. The Father put it there. This is very personal to me. In my mind, I can think of one awful thing after another through my life that I've done. Words that I've said. Places I've been. One thing after another. And he knew them too. And at super speed... In a divine and providential way, all of the sins, every one of them, even the ones I haven't committed yet, are passed upon him. And he's forsaken. And he absorbs the punishment so that I will not have to. Hell came upon him so that it won't come to me or that I would go to it. Father, my God, why have you left me? Forsaken me. Alone, three hours, darkness, total darkness. As though the outer darkness itself had fallen upon Christ. And all who around could see. This is what he came for the first time. This is what he came for. And one after the other, and all together, 
He absorbed my guilt and my punishment. And in himself, paid for my sins, all of them. Every one of them. If you are in Christ, yours too. Passing through the person of God the Son, forsaken by the Father for those three hours, that there he might die for his own. And he did. Those hours for Christ caused something upon Christ that is indescribable to us because only the Christ of God, the Son of God, could endure this punishment for sin. Don't ever let anybody try to talk you into thinking that you could lose your salvation because Christ will never go to that cross again. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, and I don't know what tomorrow holds. I may get so mad at somebody, I kick them right off a mountaintop, I don't know. But I'm like that old boy in, what was it? Oh, brother, where art thou? He got baptized. and He said, I thought, he said, well, I forgot. I said, well, he took care of that one too. I was baptized for that one too. They're all covered. Eternal life is just that. It's eternal. It doesn't stop and start and stop. And that's temporary stuff. And I have a Savior who has saved me. The writer to the Hebrews says that this great high priest does for us what we have such a great need for. Toho panteles, into the ages of the ages of the forever. It can never be reversed. What Christ did on the cross cannot be undone. Can you imagine the Son in heaven regarding his own and one of us, it would be possible for one of us to slip out of his hand and be lost all over again. What would he have to do? Crawl off of that throne and come back again to die. It won't happen like that. This is it. I'm secure in Christ because of what the Father did to him on the cross. Three hours to suffer the pangs of hell, to pay for the penalty of sin for his own. Now, take those other gospel accounts into mind, and the light is restored. And Christ cried, 
It is accomplished. It is finished. It is over. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said that, he breathed his last. The 139th Psalm talks about a book that is written that has every day of life for a person written before the days ever happen. Think about that. Only God could do that. And the 139th Psalm starts with how God weaves us together in the secret parts of the womb of our mother. And those are all part of the book of our days. And somewhere in each of our books, there's a final page of this life. And in each page and in the account of every day and every minute and every hour, every week, every month, every year, whatever happened, there it is. It's written. But the bad things all become meaningless for the one whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. The price for my redemption, the ransom for my kidnapping. have been paid. Some infinitely glorious day, my hero, my rescuer, my savior, will have this kidnapper brought before him. And he'll be cast into the lake of fire to be destroyed there forever and ever and ever in the flames of Gehenna. The first to testify of Christ here at the death of Christ is the Father. In those darkness as he walks away from his son, how does a father feel walking away from his son who is screaming and crying for help? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so in this way loved the world. The Father's testimony was simply this, that thing is sin. The sins of his own. The sins of those whom I have given to him. And he agreed before time ever was that he'd pay the price for them. And he would do whatever he had to do to maintain his elect, and he did, and here it is. 
the darkness begins to pass finally. Christ cries, it's finished, it's done, it's accomplished, it's over. The last sin of the last one of those who belong to Christ was paid for in his agony and suffering. And he knew it when the final one passed by. And he had accomplished what he came to do. And he breathed his last, committing his spirit to his father. Do you see that word father? It's a sweet word. At the beginning of the darkness, it was <laughs> it was my God. But when it was all over, it's back like it was. Abba. Father. Father and son now know the price has been paid for Christ's own. First testimony, the death of Christ is the testimony that comes from the Father. The second one, now the centurion having seen that having taken place, began glorifying God, saying, certainly this man was righteous. Centurion. A Roman legion is 6,000 soldiers. It's made up of 10 cohorts. A cohort has 600 men. And the commander of a cohort was a Kiliarch. It was a Kiliarch and a cohort that came to arrest Christ in the garden. Manipulus, it's uh, the, the Latin word speaks of the three divisions of a cohort. And each manipula is divided into two centuries, two centuries. And a century would be 100 men. A centurion then would be the commander of a hundred men. Man, he's, the, the centurion is the guy, the officer who's closest to the, he's close to the action. His men are the boots on the ground, so to speak. He's right there. Maybe it was when they knew Jesus of Nazareth was coming into Jerusalem during the time of Passover. Maybe it was only then that he had been assigned to come in with his men to keep the peace in Jerusalem for this miracle working Messiah was on his way. Maybe it was just then. But obviously his assignment would have been to keep close guard on this guy, Jesus. He's dangerous. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or keep it, but because he's here... This is how I see it must have happened. He must have been there, especially providing the security services from Roman's army in such a volatile time as this in Jerusalem. Watching Jesus. Comes in with a 
comes in with a man who had been dead for four days. Considers all of the miracles from the hand of this man that they had killed. Not hearing one curse or swear from him, but rather silence and then finally a request for the forgiveness of those who were there. It seems to me that this hardened soldier really softened up when he saw everything that happened. He uses a term that is a messianic term. It's, it's found in Isaiah 53. It's found in the Psalms. It's a reference to the Christ who is the righteous one. He's the only one who you can call righteous, really. We're only righteous because he is righteous and we're in him and he, we're covered in his righteousness. Now, I don't know how much about messianic doctrine this centurion must have known. He must have known some because he was living in the middle of it. He couldn't have been inside the temple to hear Jesus teach but he could hear people talking about the teaching of Jesus. So then, he would have known Roman law and he would have been familiar with Judaism law. And the whole thing about the, 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 the legalities regarding the arrest and, and court and trial of Jesus, those whole things were a farce. They were illegal within themselves. But no one would stand to correct any of it. This guy must not have been very far away knowing how unjust the whole thing was. Darkness. What do you think about when the one who has claimed to be the Son of God hangs on the cross and bright day becomes darkest night for three hours. What are your thoughts? This wasn't right. Fear, panic. The centurion had to stay his post. Christ died prematurely in a physiological sense. This centurion would have been very familiar with crucifixions and he would have known that the asphyxiation and, and all that attends to crucifixion would have taken much longer than this. Everybody agrees on that. You can read about it. Jesus should have suffered and faded for several hours, but he didn't because they didn't take his life. He gave his life. The Godhead is in control of the whole thing. These poor fools from Judaism and from Rome. They thought they were in control. They were not. So when the darkness has passed, and the punishment is over, He commands his life to stop. 
and it did. Centurion saw all that. He glorified God. Certainly, this man was righteous. I would submit to you that this man was saved there. That's what kind of effect the cross had on him and the Christ of the cross, the death of the Christ. But the second, the third testimony comes from the crowds. And the crowds, having come together to this spectacle, this the spectacle, they're in. These bits, it's uh, definite articles used. It's only place in the whole Bible that New Testament word is used because there's nothing else like it. The death of Christ. It stands alone forever. So they came together to this, the spectacle. Having seen these things having taken place, we're returning home, beating their breasts, afraid, amazed, no answer until Peter in a few days will stand up on Pentecost and preach. And I'm sure that many of this number will be saved on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection and after the ascension of Christ. So these crowds, they were those who were in a panic, amazed and somewhat fearful of what they had just seen at the cross of Christ. As well, everyone should be. Third, the fourth group that gives a testimony. And all those who knew him stood far off, women also. Those having followed him from Galilee, clearly discerning these things. Now, what had they been taught? What did Christ say at least three times? He said, look, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. They're going to mistreat me and arrest me and they're going to beat me and they're going to crucify me and the Son of Man will be put to death. But on the third day, he'll rise again. The third day is coming. And their testimony grows much clearer when Luke 24 makes its way into the story. And they'll be taught the richness of the meaning of the virgin birth, the sinless life, the vicarious death, the time in the tomb, the resurrection, the ascension, the high priesthood, and the second coming of Christ. And they will grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He came into this world to save sinners. It is accomplished for me. For all who are in Christ, it's over. It's been paid. Maybe only today God has seen fit to reveal that to you, and He calls you to Himself. In just a moment, we'll sing our song of invitation. If you would come to Christ, you come during that first verse. Come to take me by the hand and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Let me pray with you, would you? Maybe you're here and you're already a believer, but God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. Well, you're invited to come. We'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. You come as well. Father God in heaven, we're powerless here. We cannot do more than just testify to the word and preach it. Only you can apply it to the heart and bear witness to the spirit of people. So use this time as you see fit and we will honor you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you come?